about writing uh, put to you or brought to you by the Hatbox Theater and the New Hampshire Writers Project. I'm Rob Green. I write as RWW Green because it's more easy to Google. Uh, to my right is my friend Gary. Gary, say hello. Hello, my name is Gary DeVore. I write under Gary DeVore and uh, I write literary fiction and historical fiction mainly. And to my left is my friend Kevin. Kevin, will you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Kevin Barrett and I write under duress. No, actually, <laughs> I write in a dress. No, no, no. It's <laughs> Totally different show. No, I um, I published one short story, which was under Kate Alton Barrett, and then I had a play that was produced under Kevin Barrett, so I sort of write under both, but I plan to write under Kate Alton Barrett. And, yeah. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds complicated. Sounds, yes, yeah, it sounds is. Multiple personalities <laughs> and all that stuff. So we, uh, NaNoWriMo has uh, come and gone. Uh, I... Uh, I wrote a piece that went out to the New Hampshire uh, nanos. Uh, I saw that. Proclaiming my inability to get my act together this year. Uh, Kevin, did you have a similar experience? Yes, mostly because I um, I wanted to finish another novel um, before I... I had planned to finish it by the end of October, mm-hmm. and that didn't go as planned. So that ran a couple of weeks into Octo- into November. So then I kind of picked away at the third book of uh, Fantasy Trilogy. That, mm-hmm. And uh, my real goal was just to get it sketched out anyway. I wasn't too worried about hitting 50,000 words and having a novel. Mm-hmm. I just wanted a, a rough idea of where the third book was going so that I could, um, you know, be aware of things I need to set up in the first and the second one and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And once you've won NaNoWriMo once, yes. winning it twice or three times yeah. or four times is just showing off at this point. <laughs> Gary, how would, uh, how did your novel go? I went well, uh, for the most part. I, I kept, uh, relatively in the, the zone of, of word writing and word counts, uh, for the most part. But I plan on continuing it. I didn't finish it, um, where I thought it should be. There was a lot of, uh, time in the middle where I was still trying to figure out where exactly the plot was going. Uh, so there was a, there's a lot of uh, verbiage that I'm just going to put in the trash because that's not it ultimately where the story needed to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to continue on to it uh, through the rest of the year. But uh, for me, the most part, the, the, the most useful part of NaNoWriMo was just uh, the, uh, the, the impetus to actually write every single day and, and work on this piece every single day, mm-hmm. which I found very helpful. It's a good way to build discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in December, early December, aren't you hosting some kind of seminar for editing nano novels? I am. I am for the New Hampshire Writers Project. Uh, now that people have probably uh, some sort of nascent nano rimo novel, uh, we're we're doing a a webinar on the ninth, I believe, to uh, of December of December to mm-hmm. get some uh, critique on it, so to exchange it amongst. Uh, a few peers and, and meet online and have an online critique session for that that burgeoning novel that you've been working on for the last month. Because mm-hmm. the biggest mistake is to take that thing you just cranked out and submit it somewhere right now. Exactly, yeah. to think that it's ready to go mm-hmm. and do mm-hmm. something with it other than showing it to people and getting some feedback. Right, showing right. it to your mom. Your agent, <laughs> uh, you know, don't don't send it out to agents. Don't send it out to any place with with the... Uh, Asking for submissions right now, it's not it's not ready. Right, it's as rough a draft as as a rough draft can be. Can be. Yes. Yeah, and plus there yeah. are people who do 
and you don't want to be lumped right. in with them. Right. Because the people, the powers that be know that a lot of people now are sitting on a, a rough drafts that they're they're anxious to do something with. Right. right. So don't ruin it for everybody. That's right. <laughs> right. That's why we don't be have, one of those. That's why we can't have nice things. Yeah, we can't have nice things. So, you, but obviously, because you're doing the uh, the re, the, re, the revision workshop so soon after the month, you must be uh, a proponent of uh, of working the dough while it's still uh, hot. Exactly. Yeah, keeping keeping on it. Um, I've I've tried myself. Um, writing several projects at once or, or trying to flip back and forth between one or two different ideas. And I found for me that I need to concentrate on one and, and get one, you know, in, in a good shape uh, rather than do a little bit on one and then a little bit on another because the amount of, the amount of time and effort that I need to kind of get back into a project gets, you know, bogs down the process for me. Mm-hmm. I'm completely the opposite. Uh, what I do once I get that draft done is I, I, I put it, I literally have a drawer that I put these things in and I put it away in that drawer and I don't look at it for at least six weeks. Um, wow, six weeks. Six, at wow. least six weeks. And, uh, you know, Stephen King and his on writing, uh, book, uh, suggests six weeks and it works for me. Sometimes it goes longer because, you know, by kind of rediscovering the book, you know, six weeks from now or ten weeks from now or a year from now, I feel like the, it's no longer my baby anymore, and I can look at it with uh, with maybe harsher eyes, mm-hmm. fresher eyes. Kevin, what's your experience? Yeah, that that's pretty much how I do it too. I prefer to you know set something aside for a while because I, I tend to get into these sort of mental gymnastics when I'm working on something. Oh, about how about this? And maybe I can change that. Maybe I can do that. And I kind of get going in circles with some things, and mm-hmm. it's it's sometimes good to just set it aside and come back to it later, and then. And look at it with you know with fresh eyes and and plus you know I just, I do find it easier to jump between things and to it it helps me to put something away and mm-hmm. work on something else. See, I have such a fear of putting it away. <laughs> <laughs> I and or you know diverting from my current project, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Not that you know it will stay in the drawer and I won't get back to it, mm-hmm. but the, just the idea that. The, the creative spark that's that's fueling it will grow cold and you know granted yes I can understand that you know that there is necessity in looking at things with fresh eyes mm-hmm. but it always scares me with this idea of like walking away from a project for even just a few months before right. coming back to it so well, maybe it's like what they they say about love you know you say something <laughs> free that's meant to be it will come back to you but you know, as a cliche, we don't use those. <laughs> but you know, there is something to be said for the fact if if you write something, you put it away, and you don't ever want to come back to that. Maybe that should tell you something. <laughs> just you know, just yeah. a thought. And the second time you come back for it, when you go back to it, you're not looking at it anymore as a creator. You're looking mm-hmm. at it as an editor. You know, so I think you want that spark to grow cold, mm-hmm. and then you can look at it with a without that without that heat blinding you. Or at least that's, that's a my, good way to put it. Yeah. My perspective. I mean, have you tried it that way, or have you uh, have you always been like, you know, it's done, get back into it? Um, not not by, uh, not on purpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to to actually start NaNoWriMo, I did have to put another writing project that was not going particularly well aside, mm-hmm. um, with the idea that I would come back to it. But now mm-hmm. that I'm knee deep in my NaNoWriMo project, I just want to keep going with that, and I want to just keep 
plugging away with that and mm-hmm. and, and revitalizing that. Um, I make once I do enough um, that I feel that maybe I can put this away, this the NaNoWriMo project, and and not uh, worry too much about it. That I do, will definitely return to it. Mm-hmm. Then I can think about going back to the other previous project and mm-hmm. and uh, getting back into that. Interesting. Particularly because they're so different. The, the NaNoWriMo project is a fantasy novel, and the, the previous project is a um, historical novel that requires a lot of research. The mm-hmm. fantasy one is great because I could, and I knew that was a good NaNoWriMo pick because I could just sit on my couch and make things up because mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about that I was being historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but then going, you know, once I return back to the um, the historical fiction project, I know that's going to require. A, just a complete shift in how I work and how I approach the material. Hmm. Well, the rediscovery aspect is important to me. And I, I, when I write a short story, for example, I may not look at it for a year. Hmm. I'm, I've got short stories that I, I banged out the first draft of, and I won't look at them until I have nothing else to write. And then I will look at it and like, oh, yeah, I wrote this. And then I can look at it. <laughs> and not only is it like sometimes I, I think, oh, this is kind of good or this is kind of bad, but I can look at it in terms of, of something that didn't come out of me anymore Mm -hmm. so it's no Mm -hmm. longer it's no longer my child you know it's someone else's child and i'm far better at critiquing other people's children than (laughs) my own children uh so it just makes a i think it makes a a better uh, more objective editing experience when you put it away yeah and pull it back out again it's easier to kill darlings when they're a little less darling yeah (laughs) yes when the the guild is off the lily somewhat yeah when they're just annoying little brats. The first blush of love has yes. faded. <laughs> Does it work the other way as well, too? Do you do you rediscover something that you think is quite good or mm-hmm. quite mm. um, useful? Then you're like, well, how yeah. did I come up with that? How did I <laughs> come up with that yeah, really it's, nice... It's, you can see what your, your subconscious put into it. It's like, oh, I was really clever. Or yeah. what, what the hell was I thinking? Or something. Right. You know, there's mm-hmm. a bunch of different ways that you can kind of come across but. You know, and doing with the typewriters I do, you know, there's I, it literally is a stack of paper that I mm-hmm. put a binder clip on and throw into the uh, the trunk. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a, a an archaeological dig, going and trying to find the original draft of the mm-hmm. thing that I was looking for. Another another fear that I have, or that I tend to to hold on to when somebody says, "Oh, put it away and and don't actually come back to it," is this idea that. But something could happen. <laughs> I could <laughs> I could not actually finish that work. But I and I want to finish that work. Mm-hmm. That's why I started it. That's why I feel like I have uh, ownership over it. Um, and the idea of putting things away. Um, I'm, I am an archaeologist. That is my day job. And every horde of coins that we find from the ancient world was some horde of coins that somebody meant to come back to and never did and didn't spend mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Right. and so i i'm conscious of this fact that if i put it into that drawer um i might not actually get back to it and therefore that's that's for me that's like a risk mm-hmm. you know and, but isn't someone you know in the far future going to come and find that Find <laughs> Gary DeBoer's lost manuscripts, and that'll right. be that'll be added to the historical record. Uh, possibly, hmm. possibly. But then also, it just might get thrown out with the rest of the trash. After. That's true. <laughs> That's or true. you know, your estate could let someone make a trilogy out of you know 
Yes. <laughs> out of my one book. Out of your one book. <laughs> this is such a great idea. Why didn't he go back to this? And also, you know, a TV series. Right. <laughs> Do you have any, then, um, suggestions for getting rid of that fear or, or benefits that, that outweigh that, that fear of uh, not coming back to a project? I think it would be interesting for you because you're finishing up this NaNoWriMo project. You're not, you're not finished with the book. Once you finish up with that book, it would be interesting to me and maybe to you if you opened up the project you abandoned just to see how you felt about that project that you were working on before November mm-hmm. and see if you're actually looking at that with fresher eyes. Um, I mean, you can only, you can take my word for it or you could, you know, not take my word for it, but. <laughs> You know, you've got time for all, I think. Until time runs Until out. Until time runs out, yes. yeah. And then, you know, then you never know, I guess. You can't tell what's going to happen. And wouldn't you like to leave, like, you know, three or four first drafts instead of one? Oh, my God, no. I one know third draft? I see what the world does with authors' first drafts. Uh, that's true. That's true. I want complete control. What about you, Kevin? What's your What's your goal for putting things away? Returning to them. Oh, definitely returning to them. I have no concerns about not returning to something. I usually can't wait to get back. Like the like the the one that I just finished, um, you know, in mid October. So I'm already planning when I'm going to get back to that. I'm not concerned about not why I want to get back to that, but I know I need to give it some time so that I can look at it differently and do some real editing on. Mm-hmm. And kill those darlings and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's putting away deliberately so that I can be excited about coming back to it, and I'm not sick of it, and I'm not, you know, too too deeply involved in it. You know? mm-hmm. But I, but I'm looking forward to getting back to it and getting it done. Almost like planting yourself a present for the yeah. future. Right. Yeah. And it might be horrible. I mean, there's that old style, like, you know, once you write your first book, you're supposed to throw that first book away anyway, because right. that's the book that will never get published, and you might as well trash it. So. And, I, and I've already thrown away three or four of those. Okay, from, all right. I've been at least trying to write for a very long time. Yeah, so. okay, so you've I've already gotten, reached that I've point. I've gotten past many of those. Many of those first books. <laughs> I think four before I did any serious writing. Gotcha, gotcha. Novels that are just in the past. <clears throat> So your advice is put it away, put your NaNoWriMo project away once you've completed it or once mm-hmm. you've gotten into a, a good rough shape, and go on to the next step. Yeah, yep. write something else. Write, yep. you know, either you know, write a few short stories or write another book or mm-hmm. something like that, and then yeah. come back. So good. Yeah. That's what I would do. All right. Well, we'll try that, and uh, we'll take a break now and come All back right. and uh, talk a little bit more about writing.
And we're back from our break. Uh, we're going to take a minute to uh, talk to Gary. Gary, you're with the New Hampshire Writers Project. What does the project have going on? Uh, project has uh, two events coming up in December. One is on December 2nd at 1 o'clock on campus of uh, Southern New Hampshire University. Uh, Tracy Hahn Burkett is going to be talking in a workshop on political writing, advocacy. So if you're interested in writing politically, either for letters to the editor or long-form essays or submitting something to uh, <clears throat> excuse me, news organizations and things like that, how to write politically in our modern world effectively. Uh, she's going to be doing a workshop on that. And again, that's December 2nd at 1 p.m. on uh, Southern New Hampshire University campus. And uh, more information can be seen on our website, and uh, you can sign up for the workshop there. And then that, that day, December 2nd, is also the last day for uh, joining my uh, critique session for NaNoWriMo participants uh, a week later on December 9th, which is going to be a webinar which you can do in your pajamas at home. You don't have to leave your house, which is how I prefer it. Um, and so that's going to be we get we cut, do the cutoff date a week before, so it gives people who are participating in the webinar a, a week to read each other's material, so that we can bring critiques to the table. So that's what we're doing to round out the year at the New Hampshire Writers Project. Okay, uh, Kevin, what's going on with the Hatbox? Well, let's see. At the uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we've got a couple of things going on. We've got a. Um, uh, Friday of Thanksgiving weekend, the 24th, we have a uh, classical guitarist and vocalist coming in. He'll be doing Spanish guitar and nice. contemporary classical. He's also a very prolific composer, so he'll be doing a lot of his pieces. This is part of the Music Out of the Box series mm -hmm. we do once a month, where we've got jazz and, and classical and pop and country and all kinds of stuff coming in. Um, then the uh, 25th, we've got uh, Comedy Night. The the uh, Greg Bogus Presents Stand-Up Comedy Returns on that Saturday. And um, then uh, he's got Mike Donovan is his headliner, Boston comedian. And then uh, the weekend, well, starting December 1st, uh, will be the original adaptation of Dickens' Christmas Carol. This was... Um, and it's not your it's not your typical nice mushy kind of Christmas Carol one. It really focuses on the ghost story part of it, mm. and um, and it, it, the the emphasis on is on the line uh, an undigested bit of beef, where it's you know this he has these weird supernatural maybe experiences through the night and stuff like that. And there's and there's a lot of projections and environmental sound happening, and they're actually reconfiguring the theater. For this, they're actually taking seats out of one side, so everything will be on two corners of the two sides of the theater, and the, and the show will be taking place in the other two sides. So it's going to be a very different kind of thing, and should be really cool. And have some nice big screens for projections and stuff. And I've seen some of them, and they're they're pretty amazing. Like when Marley comes out, there's these weird bug things crawling through the the wallpaper and stuff to make the whole thing really creepy and weird and stuff. Hmm. It sounds like a combination of Christmas Carol and Fantastic Voyage when they <laughs> go into the body. Sure. Yeah, so it's so that should be a, a great show. Um, and that's what we've got going on for the rest of the year here. Hmm, sounds pretty good. Sounds yep. pretty good. So as we've established, we've got two resters who like to let their manuscripts rest before digging back into it, <laughs> and one person who likes to plunge his hands back into it while it's still screaming and hot. <laughs> um, but no matter whether you wait or don't wait, 
Um, what are some of your uh, some of your secrets to editing? What do you do to uh, to get back in there and start editing? Probably reading it aloud to myself is one thing I've learned helps me. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's you know, a short piece or a chapter, or whatever I'm working on, hearing it aloud. Um, I don't record myself, um, ironically, because I hate my my recorded voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here I am doing a podcast, um, but I do try to read the sentences aloud if I'm deep in an edit of a piece, both to kind of catch stumbling words or or misconstructed sentences that might reuse a word clumsily um, that I might not catch, just sort of reading it on the page or reading it on the screen. Um, But hearing it aloud also um, connects me with the rhythm of Mm. the piece that I'm trying to establish. Um, So that's one... Uh, secret I've learned that that helps me out in in the editing process, so that I can orally hear it. Well, allegedly, when you're reading a piece or reading a book, you're actually reading it as if you were reading it aloud. Mm-hmm. So, if your writer is careful to make sure it sounds right that way, then it should read right right that way as well. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Kevin. Yeah. Reading reading in our heads is. Is, is very much in the history of human, human, humanity uh, a relatively recent idea. Yeah. You know, in the ancient world, everything was read aloud, and that was the main way you consumed stories and, and consumed material. Um, so it's, I, I think there's still some use to it, to, to hearing it aloud. Interesting. Sure. Kevin, what are your secrets? Do you have any secrets? Uh, oh, I don't know if they're secrets, but <laughs> <laughs> typically I edit on hard copy. You know, I print it out, and then I go page by page, and if I have something I want to insert, I'll mark it, spot on the page, and go mm-hmm. in and handwrite all that out. I don't. I find it harder to edit on screen because there's something about changing what's there that I find more difficult than adding stuff to it on a page or crossing it out. It just something weird in my brain just makes it easier for me to do all that on on paper Mm -hmm. and then retype it. And then when I'm retyping, I'm doing a little more editing as I'm going. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, once I get everything kind of scanned in and, and Google docked, uh, I've got to go in and clean it up because I type really badly. So I've got to clean up my typing. But then I sit down and I read the entire piece at once. I read like whether it's a book or a short story, and I, I'll read it like I'm just kind of just like I just found it at the bus stop. Like you know, hey, look, there's a manuscript to the bus stop. Let me read it. <laughs> and then I, I read it the second time with a pen in my hand and start marking it up. Then mm-hmm. and I think that's when the the real kind of critique works. Uh, yeah. And then I can go back and start cleaning it up and typing stuff in and that kind of stuff. But I also like to have that that sheaf of paper. To work with right. instead right. of the uh, the electronic, it just mm-hmm. seems, I don't know. It seems uh, this is just being superstitious, I imagine, but it seems more organic. Yep, maybe. I think your brain works differently reading things on a screen mm. uh, yep. than it does looking at something physically in your hand. Mm-hmm. And I think there's for for at least me there's there's a uh, a disassociation that happens uh, that is more conducive to editing. Mm-hmm. When it's actually physically in front of me on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. uh, rather than you know ephemerally floating there on yeah. a glowing screen. I wonder if the if the tool if the tool were better. Like if I had a pad and I had a, a pen, like an iPad type thing, and I had a pen that I could actually take notes on the iPad screen, like I take notes on a piece of paper. If it would if it would be different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just maybe it's, maybe it's my lack of 
a familiarity with the technology, but it does, does such a thing exist? Oh, yeah. There's there's software you can put on iPads and tablets yeah. and stuff where you can write. I have one on here where I can yeah. go ahead and write on it. But that's not the same experience okay. as doing it on, for me, as doing it on pieces of paper and, okay. and actually, like you said, having them physically in your hands and stuff like mm -hmm. that. It, it does kind of trigger something different in your brain, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I've gone more down the route of physical books anyway. I can't read on a... Uh, an e-reader of mm. any for any length of time uh, yeah. it's too much like work to <laughs> sit in front of a screen again mm -hmm. right. for pleasure yeah. to consume a, a, a novel that way yeah. uh, I definitely go old school in that and so I when I'm uh, composing the work I want to have dead trees in front of me <laughs> not a glowy screen so you write by hand is that what you do? I've I've gotten increasingly into that habit of of writing in moleskin notebooks, which uh -huh. sounds pretentious, it but, is pretentious, but it does actually. Do very they have useful. to be moleskin right. notebooks? They don't have to be moleskin, but notebooks. it has to be done in a coffee shop too. Right, it has yes. to be in a coffee yes. shop with a latte. Right, yeah, right. And a beanie. I, actually, that's beanie. my that's my goal. That's my dream. That's what what I love to do. I actually, do. well, my first novel was written in a coffee shop. Were you wearing a beret? Uh, I was not wearing a beret. I don't mm. go that far. But um, but he did have uh, leather elbow pads leather elbow pads. Yes. on his jacket. Uh, well, you get you get given them when you teach. <laughs> that's, that's part of the oh, professor okay. the professor gig. Yeah, I see. But um, but increasingly, my first novel I wrote on a screen, you know, on a laptop, um, for the most part. And, but I've increasingly found it more useful to write by hand, um, not just because I can do it in, in different places and and in uh, a lot more variety of places than. Uh, having to drag my laptop somewhere but um it's just felt a lot more creatively fruitful to to scribble in a on a piece of paper with a, a nice pen and uh try and compose that way um and and that i think that's that's a big part of the creative process is that tactile uh experience that kind of gets your creative juices flowing Kevin, do you what do you what do you write with? Um, first draft uh, lately has been on Scrivener. Okay. It, mainly because I like the ability to be able to move stuff around. Mm -hmm. It's very very handy to have that nice little tree of chapters and, and scenes. You can just oh wait a minute no I just thought of something I got to push in here and I got to move that one to the other. Yep. It's really easy to do. And you can divide any which way you want yeah, to divide. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's it's a little problematic when it comes time to compile something you want to print. But once you learn those little idiosyncrasies, I personally find it very easy. And, I, and I, for some reason, it's a little easier for me to compose on screen. I just just type away and let it let it flow. Because mm. and it's works better to then edit by hand. Mm -hmm. Is what I've been finding lately. How about you? We haven't learned your editing secrets yet. Well, I'm a you know I, I like I said I'm I'm a I'm a typewriter guy. I do yeah. most of my first drafts on a on a typewriter uh, because. I can't read my handwriting, uh, and if it's that's why I always write in pencil. Yes, yeah. I could. I wouldn't read more than two words if I wrote in pen. Yeah, and if it's more than three days after I wrote it, I the the, the psychic compression wears off, and it means nothing anymore. Um, so the typewriter works pretty well for me, um, and uh, then I just scan it into Google, and Google mm -hmm. is OCR, uh, their optical character recognition oh. software, just turns it into a file. 
And it, and it actually works? Yep, works pretty well. Oh, wow. It only does 10 pages at a time because they don't want you pirating books. But, it, sure. you know, if every 10 pages I scan it, load it up into Google Docs, it turns it into a, a file, a Google hmm. Doc that I can manipulate and do that kind of stuff. It works pretty well. So is that a device that you buy from them? Or nope. do you just scan it? I just scan it. Scan I can it? even take a picture of it if I wanted okay. to. But then- I. I just have a cheap $2 scanner I picked up at Goodwill. Mm-hmm. I just scan the pages and just load it into Google Docs, and it opens up. You open it up as a, as a document, oh. and it does the thing. It works well. It catches every single typo. Wow. Yep, every nice. single typo. Yeah, it's pretty cool. How do you guys use beta readers, or do you use beta readers? I know you guys are working together on something. Well, I've worked with both of you as beta readers. You have. Yeah, I find, I find them very, very useful um, and very, very... Uh, so something I definitely recommend to to writers is to find yourself a good community of beta readers, mm-hmm. whether they're just your friends, probably probably not your your family because there's usually a uh, impetus on their part not to hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do <laughs> right. need you know right. a, a cold read on something yep. that is somebody who's willing to tell you no no this just does not work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's extremely useful to get a clean set of eyes on a piece. Bonus if they also might be writers as well, too, and sort of have an understanding of the process and the understanding of what you're trying to accomplish with your writing mm-hmm. to then give you feedback, not just on how it looks on the page, but how it might be looking in a larger plot sense or character sense. Mm-hmm. So develop and foster that literary community so you have people you can rely on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if it, it depends on your own productivity if, if you're giving something to people every week or it's every once a year. You mm-hmm. might give a beta reader or a group of beta readers material to look at. But I, I think it's, it's really invaluable. Mm. Yeah. I, I haven't really gotten to the point, <clears throat> excuse me, of, uh, of beta reading yet. Well, it's, most of my stuff's been still pretty drafty uh-huh. but um there was that one the science fiction piece that i that i took the beginning and was working working as a short story that that's pretty close to final and did some beta reading on that but mostly it's just been the fantasy writers group that gary and i are in that uh, we just pass stuff back and forth and get a lot of feedback on that and that's been that's been a great help and gary also we've been doing one-on-one uh critique partner through the we met through the new hampshire writers project Critique partner match mm-hmm. and exchange a lot of stuff there, and that's been hugely helpful. Is that mostly online or is it in person? That that's, we've been doing it on in person. In person, I right? find it it's, it's much easier to do it in yeah. person, even if it's just over the internet, you know, using a, a video program or something like that. But with the amount <clears throat> of um, comments that that are useful, getting from a a, a somebody who has read your material expecting them to type it all out and to type all the comments if if you're not doing sort of grammar editing um, right. it's it's really useful to have that one-on-one FaceTime I think mm-hmm. what about you uh well I, I'm fortunate enough to teach writing uh so I use my own stuff as as models for my students and I get free feedback so <laughs> if I teach an advanced creative writing class then you know I'll, I'll 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 use my work as like how to I use my work to teach the workshopping process, mm-hmm. so I get a nice free critique out of that, uh, which is kind of fun. And uh, you know it, I also have a small group of uh, people that I send stories back and forth to, usually online. Uh, people that I've got my master's degree with, they're people that I know through the New Hampshire Writers Project. 
And uh, so I do find that pretty. And my wife uh, is great at uh, giving me feedback. Um, she doesn't hold back? She doesn't hold back. Mm. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. She can't always tell me how to fix things, but she can always tell me when something's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's great to have. So. Yeah. All right. So thanks very much. Uh, we'll see you next time on uh, You Are Writing, which is brought to you by the Hatbox and New Hampshire Writers Project, uh, recorded live in the beautiful Hatbox Theater in, uh, in Concord, New Hampshire. At the Steeplegate Mall. Steeplegate Mall. Next to Chico's. Next to Chico's. <laughs> Thank you for listening to You Are Writing, a monthly podcast on writing from the New Hampshire Writers Project and the Hatbox Theater in Concord, New Hampshire. The music was Protofunk and Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons.